0: All trips must come to an end, but for our intrepid travellers, Jeremy and Al, the ending is nothing like they could have imagined. This is another episode in our exclusive moto travel series called Southward Chronicles. And the couple couldn't have picked a worse time for an adventure, right before a pandemic. But who could predict that? After months of lockdown, they finally decided to call it quits but quitting isn't as easy as it sounds and getting themselves back was expensive enough but the cost to ship their bikes has them teetering on leaving the bikes behind the story coming up on today's southward chronicles i'm jim martin this is adventure rider radio stay with us we got a good one for you get started i want to thank these fine companies that help get this episode out today green chili adventure gear offers american made heavy duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles you can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system and of course green chili adventure gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it tough reliable gear greenchiliadv.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. I'm Sam Manikins. Boston Vince. Simon Payby. Phil. Jocelyn,
1: Jocelyn Snow. Charlie
0: Bowman. Carl Parker. Simon
1: Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Brad
0: Johnson. Jimmy
2: Lewis. Liz Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: Southward Chronicles is Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive series chronicling the adventures of Jeremy Craker and Elle West after they left their homes last August about a year ago and headed south. Now, the plan was to ride to Ushuaia and back. Seems simple enough, but who could have predicted a pandemic to deal with? Now, Jeremy and Elle have been uh, traveling together, each riding their own motorcycles, each carrying their own gear in case they decided to separate. Because before this trip, this couple was um, sort of a couple in a long-distance relationship. Weekends, holidays, things like that. So now after a year on the road, the couple are in for a big change in living arrangements. That's coming up on this episode. They made it to Ushuaia, by the way. It was on the return trip that the pandemic hit, and they decided to hunker down and wait it out, which didn't turn out that easy because they got kicked out of their hotel. The locals didn't want foreigners around because it was uh, assumed the foreigners brought in the virus. But on this episode, the adventure comes to an end. Southward Chronicles, the ongoing saga of two riders traveling together on separate but parallel journeys. Jeremy and L, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah.
0: I feel like that that you guys have sort of, I, I mean, I said long forgotten when we first called. I said, you know, how it feel to be long forgotten? And I don't mean that people have forgot you. What I mean is that it feels like in my mind that you're isolated down there in South America. You, you hung in there hoping that it was going to turn into a short thing that you could end up traveling again. And now everybody else is back at home. Everybody's hunkered in and sort of learning the new way to live with what's going on with COVID.
1: Yeah, it kind of feels like we're the last travellers standing. I do know that there are people still out there mm-hmm. and there are people still... Um, Planning
2: to wait longer than this.
1: Waiting it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many of our friends and people that we were following on social media have since um, aborted mission and gone home.
2: Yeah, yeah, the large majority. The ones left are just a few.
0: Well, you guys you know, left on a, a trip that was, um, it was supposed to be a year in length, right? Yep. Yep. So uh,
1: I had 13 months off of work and Al had unlimited time. Just uh, she was limited only by money.
0: Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about this is, I think, anyway, is that you guys prepared for the possibility that you may want to separate and go your own ways if you're not finding traveling mm-hmm. together is really working. And that was like the big concern because we talked about it in, in, on the first episodes that we had you on. And we've sort of touched on it, I think, just about every one. That being such a big deal, having to deal with each other's personalities, because before you left, you had a long distance relationship. You weren't spending all your time together. And now this, how how does it feel to you? How do you feel or how do you respond to that, that um, this COVID thing is something that you, you couldn't plan for?
2: Well, the one thing was traveling together and being together day by day, but still on separate bikes and separate helmets. COVID added a whole new dynamic when we were quarantined. Well, not exactly quarantined. The country of Uruguay didn't make strict lockdown measures, but we did isolate from other beings in a small little one-bedroom apartment for three months
1: Mm -hmm.
2: with each other. So that was like a whole other level of togetherness for us. Mm -hmm. I'd say we did pretty well
1: yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, we're still, uh, talking to each other and we're still traveling together. And, um, there's even talk of maybe even living together when we're back in Canada.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So this has been progress, I guess. Um, let's go back though. When you found out about COVID, could you sort of set that up and and give us a sort of the quick rundown on what happened? Where were you and what you ended up doing?
1: Well, we kind of found out about it in stages, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I heard about it really was in Ushuaia. There was another traveler in our hostel, and um, he was making noise about having to share a, a dormitory with uh, another traveler from China, and he was upset. And so he asked to move into our room. And so he came in grumbling about um, you know, this virus and, and this and that, And uh, it was a bit off-putting because it was definitely, there were racial undertones in what he was Mm -hmm. saying. But that's when I first found out about a virus, uh, really. And then, Ellen, do you want to elaborate?
2: I think we weren't really worried about it. It was something that existed far away in other countries. And unless you were traveling to or from China, it wasn't a concern. I remember chatting with you one time, Jim. I forget which place we were at when we chatted with you and you said you'd heard something about people maybe be even suggesting to stock up and I thought no that's going too far like that's come on we don't need to do that yeah we were and that's just the people who worry too much probably talking about those kind of things and then we went to Buenos Aires we stayed for a while we met a friend and then we started to hear more about it then um That's when I started to worry for my own well-being, because I was thinking, wow, this is something that is traveling around the world now, and it could affect anybody anywhere. And maybe traveling in a busy subway every day with like packed with all kinds of other people. And then tango dancing at night with different people every dance, night after night, really close proximity to other people. Maybe this is not smart. And what we ought to do is start moving on. We were going to go to Uruguay anyway. And maybe we'll like stay out of big cities and not take public transit and not go to crowded places. And they're saying that there could be something like a lockdown for a couple weeks. But who knows if that'll happen in this country and probably not. If we're in a quiet, remote place, we should be fine. So we went to Uruguay and after we were here for four days five days in this country Mm -hmm. then the borders closed around us and we had no more choice about where to go
1: well it was in Buenos Aires after we had left Ushuaia where we spoke with you Jim and you asked us if we had altered our plans at all and that was a head shaker for me I hadn't like even considered it and then so you were definitely ahead of the curve on that one Mm -hmm. and then yeah when we got to Uruguay then things changed um, and we had no control over it anymore
2: So when we first got to the town of Colonia, we rented a hotel room and they actually closed. We were the last people in there. They closed the doors. We said, can we stay another night? And they said, nope, we will not be hosting anybody. Yeah.
1: We got kicked out of two places. One was a hostel and they shut the doors behind us. And the other one was a hotel. And same thing. They let us book two nights and we asked for a third. And they said, nope, we're closing and everybody's closing. And then campgrounds were closing and our options were getting smaller and smaller uh, or fewer, I guess. And, um, and what did you
0: do, Jeremy, at that point? Um, what did you guys do? You, you got to start to panic at that point.
1: Uh, panic wasn't quite the the word for it, but we were anxious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we decided to check with an Airbnb and we found one and then it wouldn't accept L's credit card. And then it wouldn't accept L's second credit card. And then it wouldn't accept my credit card. And then we were like, oh no, I think maybe Airbnb is not allowing foreign credit cards. Oh. But it turns out that that was just a, a bit of a glitch and I was able to pay with PayPal. And um, I booked the first Airbnb that we went to I got it for a month and Elle was thinking, come on, that's yeah. too long. We don't need a month. Yeah. And I thought we Listen, need a well month. This will
2: all be over in a couple of weeks is what I thought. Yeah.
1: So we booked it for a month. Not only did we get a good discount by doing it that way, but uh, it also turned out to be fairly prescient. Um, and we booked it again for another month after mm-hmm. that and then another month after that.
0: Yep. Three months. And, 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 and El, you mentioned that we were talking about, um, people, you know, talking about stocking up and things well, and they did, we know this now. I mean, look at the toilet mm-hmm. paper crisis, yes. you know, yeah. there was all the yeah. shelves were empty all over the place. I mean, everyone I spoke with, it was telling me they were going into grocery stores, including ourselves and finding shelves mm-hmm. are empty of a lot of things.
2: Yeah, I saw a lot of pictures like that on social media, and I also heard stories of other motorcycle travelers traveling around in Argentina, in Panama, in Peru, in different places, and having stories of being kicked out of Airbnbs, like one where the neighbors went to the guy who owned the building and said, I don't want you hosting foreigners because people traveling is what's caused this whole virus or what's spread it. And so we don't want that in our neighborhood. We want you to kick your guests out. Or some people saying, why are you hosting foreigners? We need to see photocopies of their passports to see how long they've been in the country. Mm -hmm. Or um, police actually escorting some people out of town and saying, we're not allowing any foreigners in this town, sorry. And in a country the size of Argentina, Nobody's going to get to the edge of the country in one day. That's not really helping anyone. That's just pushing the problem further down the road, right? Mm-hmm. We've heard of people sleeping at police stations, not sure where they were going to go. So I kind of got to that conclusion when we were kicked out of the last hotel. I thought, well, if that ends up happening to us, then there's only so much we can do. If we don't have control over what they allow us or not allow us to do, then we'll put up our tent at the police station or mm-hmm. in the Central Park or wherever. And say, look, if there's absolutely nowhere else for us to sleep, then you got to help us find something, men.
1: Yeah, but in Uruguay, it never came to that, and we were exercising, like we say, an abundance of cautions. So we actually quarantined and isolated ourselves without being um, like told to by the government. Mm-hmm. So we just hunkered down, stayed put. We wore masks when we went shopping and things like that, and um, cooked our own meals. And just kind of, we were looking at the news from around the world. And although it was never really dire here in Uruguay, we just didn't want to be a target, like Elle said. Mm -hmm.
0: So what was it like where you were, the Airbnb that you got? Um, Did you get hassled there? Were people asking questions?
2: No, we've actually had nothing but great experiences here in Uruguay. Our hosts at that Airbnb, um, the expat group on Facebook, um, other people we've met since then, Nothing but helpful, positive. Um, They helped us. We ordered a guitar online, Mm -hmm. which was a little challenging because the whole website is in Spanish and our credit cards were foreign. And then it asked for like a local ID number. And of course, we don't have that ID number. And it finally came through. Our host was willing to use her account to help us order it. Um, Then I ordered a ukulele. So we had something to actually learn and focus on while we were stuck together. Mm -hmm. Um, I ordered a computer. And they let us use their bicycles to go get groceries. We got to know the names of the dogs. They were friendly. It was Mm -hmm. awesome.
1: Yep. Nothing but great experiences here. Um, Hospitable people. And Uruguay is the best country in South America, I think, um, as far as COVID response. So they've really done a good job of uh, shutting things down. And, um, you know, it's pretty free and open here right now.
2: Yeah, there's no mandated lockdown.
1: Although the borders are still closed. Yes. And so we cannot leave.
0: <laughs> so what have you been doing? I mean, obviously you've been playing musical instruments, you've been hanging out. Are, are you having to force yourself at each day to say, Hey, we got to keep ourselves entertained?
1: Well, a little bit. Uh, I started doing more and more video editing, which gave me a little bit of a, a project. And I wrote, uh, another article or two for various, um, magazines. And then we did actually get to travel a bit. So we went along the coast and we saw, uh, Cabo Polonio, which was amazing. Beautiful. Lots of sea life and even one or two restaurants was open. And then in Montevideo, here, the city, we have been limiting our exposure to, um, other people, but we do go to restaurants, uh, not every day and not all the time, but, um, we can do that. So, um, there's a little bit of, uh, diversion to be found, uh, if you look for it.
2: hmm After three months in that apartment, we decided to move around a little bit more because it was allowed within the country. And things seemed to have um, flattened, as they say, flattened the curve. And more and more places were advertising and starting to open up again with some conditions. So restaurants have fewer people in them, fewer tables. Um, The staff wear masks or face guards when they serve you. But um, much more of those places are open now than were three months ago.
0: How did you guys feel this whole time about spending your budget stuck in a B and B that you never would have stayed at otherwise?
1: Yeah, it was it was painful to watch it dwindle. I mean, I think we were we would be about the same as far as budget wise about now had we continued to travel, but we would have had the adventure of going through mm-hmm. Brazil and seeing Iguazu Falls and you know, getting through Colombia again. So I think money wise we'd be about where we are now, just with a richer experience, had Mm -hmm. we been able to travel?
2: Much richer. Yeah. I think for me, I got to hold out hope when we sat still. I was like, but maybe we can still ride. Like if this all gets dealt with in the next month, then we could still theoretically ride back to Canada. Or maybe Jeremy goes ahead of me, but I follow a little bit later. Maybe that could still happen. And uh, it took three months of sitting still for me to realize this is not like borders aren't going to open. Every single border between here and Canada is not going to open in the next couple of months. This might not be till next year. Mm -hmm.
0: And the way things are going, I mean, it seems to change on almost a daily basis of what's happening. And it still seems to be fickle, doesn't it? I mean, to make a long term plan, I think, is is quite um, risky
1: at this point.
2: Yes, even to make a plan for next week.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had some flights that we were looking at to get home. And we actually spoke with the um, Canadian ambassador to Uruguay, uh, Joanne Frappier. And uh, she's really friendly and really helpful and really, um, you know, outgoing and supportive of Canadians in the country. We met her and I said, well, you know, my goal is to get home to Canada for work for October 1st. And she didn't give me any official word, but she said, hmm, I'd be more optimistic if you had said November 15th. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we but we did start looking at flights. And at first, this option was available, and then this one, and then this one, but they all either filled up or canceled. And now, the only option as Canadians that we had when we booked our flights was to fly from Montevideo to Spain, mm-hmm. then to Portugal, mm-hmm. then to Toronto, yeah. Than to Calgary. Yes. So we can't go through Brazil. We can't go through the States. uh, We can't, and they're not flying right now to Argentina. Mm -hmm. So our options were super limited.
2: Because Uruguay is a smaller country, (laughs) usually planes would go from here to Brazil. And then catch a connection to wherever internationally. But if we go to Brazil, then we cannot go to the States. They're not allowing any flights from Brazil right now. And we're not U.S. citizens, so we can't use that as a reason to go. So we cannot catch any of those flights that are happening that are going from here to Sao Paulo to Miami or wherever in the States and then connect to Canada. Ah. So we're literally going the long way around Mm -hmm. (laughs) across Mm three continents just to get back to Canada. I mean, if our flights go, I want to say we're planning on it, but... Like we just said, you can't count on anything even as far as next week. Yeah. If numbers change, if um, Spain decides for some reason not to accept flights from this country or they close down flights again, we're then we're stuck. We've well, got to go back to...
1: And even after we booked this, this flight... Mm-hmm. Uh, the rules in Portugal changed after we had purchased the tickets. So now to get into Portugal, you must have a negative COVID test within 72 hours of arriving in Portugal.
2: But we'll be on a plane to Spain and then from here to Spain before that. So our 72-hour window was really very tight. We have to get it just before we leave Montevideo and then spend 24 hours on a plane from here to Spain and then from Spain to Portugal Mm -hmm. for that time window to still be valuable. And we have to test negative which I feel like we're probably going to do. I don't have any symptoms. I don't have any worries. I don't have any reason to think that we might not. But it's not a guarantee.
0: Right. Like,
2: we don't know for sure. <laughs> that would be awful.
0: Yep. Well, What happens if you, if you don't? What happens if you test positive? One of you.
2: Then we can't take that flight. They will not allow us. Will
0: you be able to go back yep. to your B&B?
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, like right now, we've had no problems booking Airbnbs. Uh, some people have had in Uruguay some difficulties um, because, yeah, for various reasons, we have not had any problems.
2: And we've moved to quite a few different ones now. Yeah. After that original stay of three months, we've moved to Montevideo and then up the coast into Punta del Este and a couple other towns and now back to Montevideo.
0: Oh, I see. So you haven't been in the same one all this time. You've been actually been able to move around. That's that's yes. different. And when you move, are you going by motorcycle?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Uh, we have taken the motorcycles out as far as Cabo Polonio, uh, which is sort of close to the Brazilian border, right?
2: Not. I wouldn't say right beside it, but towards that direction, yeah.
1: Yeah. And we've been living in Montevideo off and on for about a month or so.
2: And every time we've looked at Airbnbs, we've had no trouble booking them. Yeah. Some people have asked how long we were in the country, and once we say four months, they're like, oh, no problem.
1: Yeah. Mm. When is your flight booked? Well, the flight is booked for August 6th. But like I say, there's lots of hoops. We've got to jump through before then. We have to uh, to wait and see. So um, it's 48 hours of travel to get from here to Calgary. Uh, And then we have to quarantine, of course, for two weeks. Um, But we don't know if it's going to happen according to plan tomorrow, Finally, after a bunch of different delays and hand wringing and trying to decide what to do with our motorcycles, we are bringing our motorcycles uh, to put on a container and ship them back to Canada.
0: Mm, okay. That
1: would- yeah. You're probably going to segue into that, but I maybe jumped the gun there. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, no, no, that's tomorrow.
0: Great. That, that's what I was going to ask is yeah. So, what happens with the bike? So, at least you're taking them home. That, that has to be bittersweet
2: very yes i'm so happy that my bike is going to be with me and i hope that we'll have a couple weeks in canada of summer before it snows after my quarantine when i'm free to ride and hopefully my bike arrives in time for that but um i'm also i still think grieving this trip and really realizing that it is done for sure it's over Mm. the going back part is not the fun part
1: yeah. And I actually looked at uh, selling my KLR 650, which apparently I could do in Uruguay, although it could never be legally registered. But there are still people who would be willing to pay um, like $1,500 for my motorcycle. It's probably worth more like 4000 But then it would save me the thousands of dollars to ship at home. So I'd probably be ahead. But if I did that, it would double L's shipping expenses. So I decided to um, ship home Mm -hmm.
2: without it's potentially um, it's arguable how much it's worth paying to ship definitely we are struggling to rationalize the cost of shipping our motorcycles and then the cost of our flights isn't cheap either but there's no way around that like we're stuck there's only so much you can do thinking about selling the bikes or leaving them behind was definitely considered it's not easy to do here in Uruguay to sell them Um, it's hard for anybody to ever be able to legally register a Canadian motorcycle here. Um, So I certainly wouldn't get the value of my bike. But when you consider in saving thousands of dollars on shipping costs, maybe it would be worth it. And I had a very hard time considering that possibility.
0: The thing is with, when it comes to registration is if you sell it, you have to change it over, which has to be done in Canada. And really to change it over, you need both parties present. So you'd, you'd have to fly with, this, with the purchaser to Canada to a license office and then do the changeover and then have them go back down. That's the only legal way to do it. But from what I understand, people are doing it and they're their, you know, sort of doctoring their registration papers. Some
2: people might just not ride it on the street. Like we heard one guy sell his because he sold it to a guy who had a lot of acres of land and he was only ever going to ride it around on private land. So he didn't need to register it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, but, but either way, you're you're not going to get the value of your bikes. And it's, and it's kind of like the bike means something to you at this point. I mean, you, you did go to a Swaya, you, you started to head back. It means to me, yeah. I mean, this thing is, you know, it's been places with you and I don't know how attached you are to it. It sounds like you are
1: yes l is attached to her bike i think of my klr 650 as a very expensive hammer it's just a tool that i use to go from point a to point b and um i do like i do like the brand and everything but uh i could easily let it go especially if it made financial sense
0: you have an old honda at home do you not
1: Yes, I've got a 1982 Honda CB750 Custom.
0: And it was your dad's?
1: Yep. I bought it initially when I was 19 years old, and then I sold it to my dad, and then he rode it for like over a decade, and then I got it back when he passed away.
0: So you do, at times, get sort of attached to things sentimentally.
1: Yep. Uh, El Toro, I would say that's the name of the bike. I do hold that bike near and dear to my heart. Uh, It represents my father in many ways, and it represents uh, my youth in Saskatchewan. So yes, I have, um, what do you say, I've given that bike some meaning. Uh, But even still, if the right price was offered, I could sell that bike too.
0: (laughs) You just made yourself sound deep and then you got to really shallow all of a sudden.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to think of the word imbued. I imbued that bike with meaning, but then I couldn't think of it fast enough. So I'll just try to not sound super deep or meaningful.
0: Well, what What have you guys learned over the three months you've you've been sort of stuck although you've moved around which I'm really very really pleased to hear because that that had to break things mm. up I think staying in the same spot the same the same apartment would have been uh, much much worse but Maddening. what did you guys learn over this? <sighs>
1: You know, usually I tend to learn lessons, uh, after a lot of hindsight. So I might learn something about this trip and about myself and about Elle when I get back to Canada. (laughs) Um, but a lot of the things that, uh, I've learned from previous trips have just been Reinforced. reinforced. Yeah. Um, Like there's there's practical things like Ellen, I know now, like we knew before, but always have snacks with you on the motorcycle, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're going to a border crossing or a stressful situation.
2: And even if you're not like even here in the city, when we just move from one Airbnb to another or we're just going down the road 200 kilometers and it's like, oh, it's not a big day. It's not a long day. We'll be fine. We know how to do this. We've done this plenty of times still, if it ends up to be too much time without any snacks or food in you, we're going to get grumpy with each other. Mm. There's going to be some words exchanged that are not very polite. And it's still important to keep on top of that stuff.
1: And on a grander scale, I would say too, that um, I'm happy that we did this when we did it. And we got from Canada to Ushuaia. uh, We did not make it back in proper style, like we were hoping to, But I'm glad we didn't delay. Um, We went as soon as we could afford to do so. And I think that's a a lesson that I need to keep learning as well. Um, You know, to not put things off. If you want to do something, do it as soon as you reasonably can, as opposed to dragging your heels and worrying about what may happen. Because, you know, you can't control these things and and, uh, it'll unfold. As it unfolds,
2: right. I I agree with that. And even though you don't know what's going to happen and maybe a global pandemic is going to break out, I'm still glad we did it. I'm very glad we got the first half in, the from Canada down to Ushuaia part in before this happened. And that's just luck. Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad we did it. Like, even if I could go back in time and know that I'd only be able to make it half the distance, I would still rather do this trip than never even start it.
1: Well, and a lot of people, this is their whole goal, right, is to ride from Canada or the States to Shwaya and then ship their motorcycles home. So I think that's a pretty common thing that people do. We just had slightly grander plans, but then it just turned into what a lot of people end up doing anyway. So um, it, it's not like it's we still didn't accomplish something that was pretty cool and we got a check mark mm-hmm. on our list of things to do. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, what about the, the three months now since the things have been locked down, if you could go back, would you eliminate that and get back home and get back to your life? Or has this been worth it?
2: We would probably start looking into shipping options sooner. I definitely was holding out hope that we could still ride back. I would have avoided more winter time in this country if I could have. Yeah. And And more summer in Canada. I
1: basically wrote off the idea of shipping, uh, sorry, of riding back like after the first month that we were in the country. I was like, no, that's not happening. Um, So I was maybe a little bit ahead on that decision. Not decision, that realization. Um, I don't know. It, it would be nice to have been back in Canada sure. for the summer. So now we're going to come mm. home to Canada. You know, if things go to plan, and we will be in late summer. So and then
2: we'll quarantine. Yeah. And then we'll go pick up our motorcycles from the shippers, and yeah. it'll be late September by then.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the riding season is over. What is winter like in Uruguay?
2: It's chilly and it seems like it shouldn't be much to complain about, especially for a couple of Canadians. It doesn't get below zero. There's never any worry about freezing, but it's still chilly and the humidity is very high. Um, 80, 90%, sometimes 100% humidity. And so nothing ever dries out. Plus it's chilly. You have a shower and you dry off, you hang that towel up. Well, tomorrow that towel is still damp from yesterday's shower. Uh, Nothing ever dries out. So it's a cold, clammy, to me, a little miserable kind of cold. Like right now I can see my breath in this room. Really? I saw yours just oh, now. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I would say that it's a great winter compared to <laughs> compared to Canadian winters. So I would say that the winter here is quite manageable. However, because it's so mild, they don't really engineer the buildings uh, to be comfortable. Like they just, I think they just collectively go, well, you're going to be uncomfortable for two months deal with it mm-hmm. <laughs> so it Cinder is a little bit houses yeah it was a bit cool at night no for insulation.
0: Yeah. Mm. i've got a few things to tell you about but stick around we've got a lot more coming up so a while ago um i think it was uh yes it was march 2019 we had a couple on the show that had traveled the world on a ktm uh, 640 adventure two up it was Heidi and David Winters. Now on that trip, David broke his wrist and he had to ride. It's actually quite a story. You'll have to go back and listen. A matter of fact, I'll put a link in the show notes um, of this episode for that one. So if, if you go to the show notes, uh, the show notes for this episode, that link will be in there. It was March 14th of 2019. Anyway, there David is riding his bike. Heidi is on the back. Um, his, his wrist is broken. It's his right wrist, the throttle hand. And, um, I think he had a throttle lock at the time on the bike, but it was, it was one that mounts on the bar end or something. It was difficult to operate. I remember he was very frustrated with it and he was in for a a long, painful ride, but it got him thinking about that throttle lock and he thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better design. And it was that experience on that trip with the two of them just riding around on their KTM that motivated David to redesign, to reinvent the throttle lock, which he did and he founded the Atlas Throttle Lock Company um, with Heidi. Now, um, in case you're not aware of what a, a throttle lock does, basically it holds your throttle in position as you ride. It's great for those long stretches of road. I use it a fair bit for just holding the throttle in position. So um, that, you know, that often will become a pain, uh, not physical pain, but just be a nuisance. Your hand will get tired holding the grip, et cetera. So it just holds the throttle in position. Basically, people call it a cruise control, but it's not really a cruise control. It doesn't give throttle at a hill or anything. It just holds it, sort of locks it in the one position. So anyway, back to the Atlas throttle lock. The end result is that David was inspired to design from his and Heidi's trip around the world, this incredible, two-button throttle lock that's unlike any other one you find on the market. You activate it with your thumb by just simply pressing a button, you press to activate, and you press the other button to release. Now, it doesn't hold the throttle so hard that you can't overpower it. You can, it's easy. But the buttons are so ergonomically designed they're, they're put in the correct place that pressing the button is easy and natural. And uh, this thing is a, just an, an incredible feat of engineering. Apparently, you can take it off one bike and put it on another bike. It, it fits a lot of models. Anyway, have a look at their website. It is atlasthrottlelock.com. Uh, and of course, we'll have a link to that on our website if you go and look at our sponsors. It's atlasthrottlelock.com. And hey, make sure you're, when you're talking with them, throwing them an email or anything, tell them that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. atlasthrottlelock.com. No doubt you've got a computer that's connected to the internet a smartphone that's connected online to all your favorite social media accounts we're very connected nowadays in our cyber world that we spend a good portion of our time in but how connected are you with your motorcycle being connected to your bike is a necessity if you're trying to increase your riding skills and and if you hit any kind of dirt at all which every rider is going to do it even if you're a street rider you're going to hit dirt in fact you cannot ride or not ride well without being connected if you're running uh, your stock foot pegs, then you're, you're not really connected. You need IMS products, foot pegs designed specifically for riders like you and I by riders tested in extreme conditions that only like the highest level riders get to they're built in the USA. They're warranted for life. They look great on the bike as well. IMS products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs to suit your style of riding. Have a look and grab a set of foot pegs that you can not only stand on, but you can depend on. IMSproducts.com. And uh, anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, you don't need to be a BMW rider to benefit from Cyclops Adventure Sports' huge lineup of lighting and accessories. But let's just say for a moment you are a BMW rider. Cyclops has the Cyclops Raider BMW CAN bus interface. Sounds like a mouthful. But what this thing does is it plugs directly into the CAN bus system. Totally plug and play. No computer programming. It allows you to add things like a heated jacket and another accessory to set your, your brake light to flash when you hit the brakes. All with dip switches. No computer plug-in. It's just all with dip switches and just follow the instructions. So it lets you set, for instance, your auxiliary lights to strobe when you hit the horn. I mean, that, That's a great way to command attention. Also, you use the Wonder Wheel on your handlebar to adjust the brightness of your auxiliary lights. You can set your auxiliary lights to strobe when you hit the flash to pass button. You know, you flash somebody to let them know you're going around them. And when your turn signal is activated, it automatically dims that aux light on that side. Just an incredible system cyclops raider bmw can bus interface is what it's called because cyclops is all about seeing and being seen on the road Um, something that us motorcyclists really need to take seriously and cyclops has a ton of led lighting both headlights and auxiliary lights they've got headlight conversions that are plug and play so many auxiliary lighting solutions you really got to drop by the website to have a look cyclops is a family owned and operated business they're riders they know how difficult it is to attract the attention that we need from those car drivers to let them know where we are see and be seen cyclops adventure sports their website is cyclopsadventuresports.com and of course tell them you heard them here on adventure rider radio cyclopsadventuresports.com you've mentioned already you know you're going to have to quarantine when you when you get back Will be doing that together?
1: Yeah. Um, We've got a few options for quarantining, but a lot of them aren't very good. So we finally uh, convinced a friend of ours to let us stay in his garage. He's got a big backyard in Calgary, so we'll probably sleep in his garage for a little bit, and then we'll have maybe a tent in the yard too Mm -hmm. so we can get some space from one another. And my motorcycle, my El Toro, the 82 Honda is in that garage currently. So um, if I can get my friend to go to the motorcycle shop and bring back this and that part, I can do a little tinkering on that bike. And um, yeah, hopefully it'll be relatively painless.
2: If we can do three months in Colonia Uruguay together, we could do two weeks together in quarantine.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Even in a garage and a tent, that's fine. But well, if, if it's one bit,
2: gets the garage and one gets the tent, at least there's room to go to <laughs> when you need to.
1: Yeah, it's pretty Spartan accommodations, though. So, like, we won't have a toilet or a shower mm-hmm. that we have easy access to. Um, we won't have like a few creature comforts that we would like to have, but we will survive and we will be safe. And um, yeah, we'll just get it done.
0: How many people call a toilet creature comfort? So, that's the first time I've heard it right. <laughs> <way>. <laughs> so, what are you going to do? Dig a hole in the yeah. backyard?
2: There will be one. We're just talking about maybe making a schedule with access to it so that we're not um, interfering with other people who are not quarantining as use of it. Oh, I see.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to jump back um, and ask about flights and, and ask about your, your shipping the bike. Do, do you guys mind talking about money when it comes to this?
1: I am totally, I'm, a, I'm an open book. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about it all day long.
0: Okay. So just talk about whatever so you're, whatever you're comfortable with, but how much money are we talking about to ship a motorcycle all, like around the country, around the world rather?
2: When Jeremy first started doing it, because he was the one more accepting that this trip is over and ready to start looking at ways to get home. He came back with a quote and I nearly cried and just went to bed and gave up on the rest of the day. He quoted me about four and a half thousand us oh. dollars per bike. And I thought, give me a break. That's insane. How I meet like it's on the edge of not worth it, but maybe we can make it happen. I don't know. Line of credit. What do we do? And then he came back and said, no, no, no. The shipper has just wrote me back again and said that because those crates would not be considered stackable, they actually will double. So 9,000 US dollars per bike. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, come on, this can't get any worse. Like, that is clearly not worth it. Our bikes are not that valuable. Mm-hmm. And so what am I looking at now? Am I looking at just leaving my motorcycle? Like if I can't sell it for even just parts, oh, yeah. maybe less than a thousand dollars, like that? Like I'm really just going to cry now. Mm-hmm. And we, I was heartbroken and miserable for the rest of that day.
1: We had a few quotes that were coming in extremely high. Um, and then so I started thinking, okay, I'll sell it or we'll store our bikes and we'll fly and return. But then we dug a little bit more and we found another person here and another person there. And then one came in suspiciously low. And then that wasn't comforting either because you don't want to always go with the lowest bidder. Um, But we ended up settling on um, a gentleman who is um, well regarded, I think, in the community, motorcycle shipper. And he seems to specialize in shipping motorcycles. His name is Olaf. He's from Germany. Uh, His company is called In Time courier or something like this. And um, so Elle and I are each spending about 3500 Canadian dollars per bike mm. to, to ship them from Montevideo to Vancouver.
2: It goes from Montevideo to New York by boat and then by train from New York to Vancouver.
1: And the nice thing about this too is, you know, maybe that sounds high as well, but um, all of the costs are included. So like when you're shipping a motorcycle, as those of you who have done it before understand, there's often hidden fees. Oh yeah, there's a $50 form you have to fill out and this thing costs $25 and there's also this. So all of that has been accounted for, including the clearance of the bikes on the Canadian side. So even though it does sound a bit high, it has all those little nickel and dime things included um, and, and we'll see if that holds true when we, when we finally clear the motorcycles, but we have received assurances that that is the case.
0: And will this include all of your gear, all of your riding gear? Cause you're not going you you can't yeah. take that on the plane.
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, we're in the middle of packing right now and deciding what stays with the bikes and what comes with us, and not just comes with us for the plane ride for forty-eight hours, but also the week that we live without our bikes here in Montevideo, and then another two weeks that we live in Canada during quarantine. So everything we need for that time should come with us on the plane. Oh. And yeah, um, jackets, helmet, everything else is going to stay on the bike. So we get a container to ourselves, which is another advantage of going with this guy. Oh. Other people needed to build crates and. And I thought, well, maybe we can build our own crates. Like, It's not like we don't have time. If we just need a space to do that, I bet you we could save a few bucks that way, right? Mm-hmm. They're quoting five, six, seven hundred dollars $700 U.S. to just build a crate. So let's save money. And then I looked into it. You need to have pressure-treated lumber, and it needs to be fumigated, and it needs to be stamped by some governing authority over wood. And then you pay as a foreigner 22% tax on top of the cost of any lumber that you buy. So it actually didn't turn out to be any cheaper at all just to purchase the lumber and build it. This guy does not need to build crates for the motorcycles. We will put the motorcycles into a sea can, strap them down with all the luggage attached to the bikes, just the same as when we're riding them. And then that container stays closed from Montevideo and then until it arrives in Vancouver and we open it up again. Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of people don't realize that about the crates, uh, the crates that some countries have restrictions on the wood that's being used or the process. And, you know, as you say, uh, making mm-hmm. it and have an it fumigating, yep. which can be a real shocker when you uh, try and ship it and, and you're stopped right at the last minute. them saying, well, where's your, where's your approval? Where's your stamp? Um, so that's, that's unfortunate, but yes. yeah. But $3,500. Okay. And you, Jeremy, you yep. said your, your KLR yep. is, is four grand. How do you, yep.
1: yeah, maybe to the, maybe to the right buyer with my luggage and everything included, like maybe I could find like, I think outside best price, I might get $5,500, but I'm looking more like just below 5,000 at the best, I would say. Cause it was new when you left, right? Yep. It was brand new yeah. and, uh, it's only been dropped a whole bunch of times now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it looks like uh, Elle was looking at some numbers here. It's thirty three hundred Canadian dollars each. So
2: four thousand four hundred US dollars for the crate for the whole container, and then plus some Canadian charges when it lands, and then translating that to Canadian dollars is about three thousand three hundred each.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I, I'm not. I'm spending almost as much money as the bike is worth to get her home.
0: Yeah, and that's gotta. That has to be tough to sort of justify.
1: Yep. This is where Elle and I have definitely um, parted ways when, we, when it comes to like theories about motorcycles. Um, I did the math, and I probably could have sold my motorcycle for 1,500 US dollars here in Uruguay, which is not very much money, but then I would save 3,300 Canadian dollars in shipping. So all of a sudden, that looks very tempting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do it because again, that would have doubled Elle's shipping costs unless we went with someone who builds a crate for them and she does it, uh, uh that way. Um, so there were some tough decisions to be made. L's Elle, Elle's decision, um, in a way it was a little bit easier because she loves her bike so much. So with that being her guiding star, um, all of a sudden you're just trying to find a way to get the bike home to Canada.
0: Wow. So it's all over and and you're headed back. When you get back, I know, Jeremy, you've got your job to go to, which I'm sure probably feels very good at this point. Um, Elle, how about you?
2: Well, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. It's tough. I could start looking at like typing up a resume and starting to look for work right now. I haven't even tried that yet. Um, Focusing on getting the bikes to the shippers and doing all our customs paperwork and figuring out flights and how to download all the apps that are required for different countries in order to go through them and to get our tests figured out here in the Mm -hmm. city to get tested before we get on the plane is taking up most of our time and effort right now. I'm hoping that, um, There'll be a little bit of a buffer. And I don't even know, like the economy has changed so much. What even type of jobs are available? It's a really bad time to be starting from scratch.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. but And as I've been saying to Elle throughout uh, this process, one problem at a time, mm -hmm. one problem at a time, because we have both uh, found ourselves becoming a bit overwhelmed when we've been thinking about how to get home. But you just have to do one thing at a time. Right now, we're getting our bikes ready for shipping. And then after that, we get ourselves ready for flying. And then after that, we think about where are we going to live?
2: So there'll be a point somewhere along the line, probably on the plane. I'll just start crying and think, yeah. well, it's actually over for sure. And now what the heck am I going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And basically the goal for me is to work as much as I can, to save as much as I can for more travels someday, whenever the world allows us to travel freely again
0: yeah that, that i I just can't imagine what you guys are feeling because a lot of people come back from trips and, and they talk about sort of being disorientated and, and having a different view on life and, yeah. and they sort of have to work through that but they've got all the options available and and as Al just said yeah. I mean this is a different world now we're looking at um uh, there's the options are are, are are let's just say they've they've been they've been reduced and it's not like you can keep Fair on enough. traveling now that's all often people talk about that well maybe I'll just decide to keep going well. You can't in the world that we have today.
2: To go to.
0: Yeah. So, so that makes it very difficult in the end. How would you rate your adventure? Uh, You know, one to five, one being the worst five being the best adventure that you, that you imagined before you left. Where do you think that would come in for each of you?
1: Well, Okay, if you put it that way, like the best adventure that we could have possibly have had, I would have to back off of giving it top marks. Um, but but just only just. Mm-hmm. I would still say, hi, hi, Marks. I am so glad we did this trip. I'm so grateful for the experiences and even for the challenges. Uh, we met some amazing people during this quarantine time. Yes, it is really unfortunate that um, the way we intended to return didn't work out, but I'm still going to, in spite of all of that, I'm still going to give it 4.25.
2: There you go. 4.7 for me. Yeah. Very close to five. Yeah. I mean, it obviously could have gone better in some respects, but still so glad that we did it. There will be memories of those mountains in Peru and of the people we met along the way and going to Antarctica Mm -hmm. and so many things that just inspire me to want to travel more. Yeah, so I'd when agree. those days it's cold Canadian winter and I'm trudging to work and scraping the ice off my windshield or whatever it is, that's the thought that's going to carry me forward is I want more of what I've had a taste of.
0: hmm if that isn't a testament for travel, I don't know what is. I mean, you guys have had your trip cut short. You've spent a bunch of money staying somewhere you we didn't plan on staying, and it was still an amazing trip for you. So obviously, mm-hmm. yep. you guys would do it again. Is there is there any talk at this point of, of you know down the road when COVID's over and things open up again? Have you have you already started uh, discussing that?
2: We've yep. kind of talked about doing this again. I don't know that we will or that would be the plan right away. But both of us have thought. I feel like we didn't give this trip a fair shake and we Mm -hmm. ought to do it again (laughs) because there's so many places that we now know about that we want to spend more time at and places we missed that we want to go check out.
1: Yeah. um, Before this COVID thing happened, Elle and I were talking about maybe our next trip will be around the world. We'll just do it in four months. So I think I could get that time off of work. Mm -hmm. It would be a lightning trip and it would be too fast, but but that would be a great adventure. It would be
2: awesome. Yeah. yeah.
1: And now, like Elle is saying, I'm thinking more of doing this again <laughs> um, <laughs> because there's there's so much that we didn't get to see, and also it's, it's enough adventure. It's
2: and enough- I seriously did not know that there were glaciers in Peru. I didn't know that until I saw them with my own eyes. I'm like, no one told me this was going to be here. This is amazing. And no one told me that I could sit on a beach in the middle of Uruguay and watch dolphins literally from my front doorstep. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. We walked on the beach and saw a seal, like just on the beach with us in the wild, not in a zoo, not in a preserve anywhere. I think
1: all of those things you're describing can be found in British Columbia.
2: okay. (laughs) Well, my
1: God. There's so
2: many surprises along the way and times when I found myself saying, this is amazing. It really inspires me to want to keep going out and exploring the world even more.
1: Yeah. I'm on board with that too. I would do this trip again in a heartbeat. Um, if I could, you know, if I could afford to just go back and forth and back and forth (laughs) following the weather, um, that might get a little bit, uh, dull at some point, but I think it would take a long, long long time. Yeah.
0: Well, now when you guys get back, obviously you're gonna have winter, but come next summer, if you still can't travel internationally, will you go on adventures within Canada?
1: Yeah. Um, I love riding my motorcycle around Alberta and British Columbia and down into the States. Um, less so, uh, lately into the States, but British Columbia and Alberta have been my go-to adventures and, um, I'm, I'm, i con- you know, stoked to continue to do that in the summer.
2: Yeah. And maybe even this summer, if we get a chance to pick up our motorcycles in Vancouver and the weather is still holding for us, then absolutely stop along the way, Mm -hmm. if it's safe to do so. And if the campgrounds are available and um, do a couple stops and make some extra miles along the way home.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, and excuse me if that sounded political, what I said about going into the States, that was not my intention. I just haven't done that recently. Um, You know, BC and Alberta um, have plenty of adventure waiting for any rider. Yeah, yeah,
0: I, I took that that way. Um, and, and what's this about living together now? Is that
1: going to happen? <laughs> we are in discussions. Um,
2: Jeremy officially asked the question. It yeah. Took him, it took him a year <laughs> of traveling together. S-
1: sorry, asked what question?
2: To move in with him. Wow.
1: I, I asked if she would move in with me.
2: So that is the plan when we get back to Ken and once his condo is free.
0: <laughs> Elle, you said yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't say anything unequivocally, Jim. We don't. We, I like. I didn't properly ask the question, and she didn't properly say yes. We're both like, yeah, I don't know. You want to live together? Okay, I'm sure? So uh, there's still some hemming and hawing to be done, but I think we're moving in that direction. I would I think like so too. Okay, good, good, there good. Go. Yes.
0: Well, it'll certainly help on uh, with expenses anyway, right? I mean, you can pool together, Absolutely. and <laughs> so that will that will be a huge plus for you.
1: Yeah. Well, right now, I don't think Elle can afford to live with me. So. It'll be much more <laughs>
2: expensive than where I was living in Calgary before. Yes. Yeah. And Canmore's not a cheap town. Oh. Yeah. And
1: I'm not uh, a man of means. So I would ha- like I need to have some roommate income. So um, there's some practical things we've got to work through. But I think it, it's all doable. Mm
0: hmm. Well, that's quite an adventure you guys have had and that you still have yet to have getting back to Canada. Um, I wish you all the best. I hope your flight and everything works well and and goes off without a hitch. And I hope your bikes arrive just as they're supposed to.
1: Yeah. Me too. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm.
0: Thanks very much, you guys. Jeremy, Al. Thanks
2: for having us, Jim.
1: Thank you.
0: Jeremy Craker and Elle West on our exclusive travel series, Southward Chronicles. Now, we have a collage of photos from Elle and Jeremy's trip in the show notes for this episode, so drop by our website and have a look at that. And right now, as I record this, Jeremy and Elle are on a plane, one of uh, a number of planes, that they will have to take to get home. So follow along on our Facebook page to get the updates and see how that went, and drop by AdventureRiderRadio.com and have a look at the show notes for this episode. You can find the link to our Moto Travel series in the main menu. wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did producing it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. We would love to get you, if you're not doing it already, supporting the show. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need you to step up and support. Go to AdventureRiderRadio.com, click on the support button, and see what we have there to offer. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker for your, your toolbox or your pannier. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our raw show. Speaking of Raw, I should mention again here that um, we have another show called Raw that we bring out every month. And if you're not listening to that already, I think you're going to enjoy that. You need to subscribe separately, all available at our website, AdventureRiderRadio.com. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week.
2: thompson and you're listening to adventure writer radio